Welcome to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast, where each week, God willing, you will be able to hear a poem, a story, a meditation, and a musical interlude that give expression to one Sufi's perspective concerning the mystical dimension of Islam. My name is Anab Whitehouse, and I will be your host. Although I am not a sheikh, nonetheless I did have the opportunity to spend 16 years in the company of a Sufi saint of the 20th century and by the grace of God, was able to gain a few insights into the nature of the Sufi mystical path through that association. So, without further delay, let's proceed to the essential contents of this episode. This poem is called The Human Condition. Drifting off, consciousness reverberates with some images from a dream or perhaps a waking state. I am not certain. Something important is being conveyed, but it eludes me. Seemingly familiar, it's still vague, life beyond one's grasp. Should I wake up or go back to sleep? The choice is hard since I really don't know my condition, and truth demands clear vision. Hands reaching out to me as though offering a gift, but I do not see what is there, or maybe they're empty, optical illusions of the soul. A voice bids attention. Does this come from within or without, or is it both? Static interferes, and the meaning disappears. Struggling to see and hear clearly what's going on, mists of indifference begin to seep in as a cold front of doubt descends. Light penetrates the fog like a flashlight searching for someone. Trying to yell, my voice fails, too weak from confusions of the mind. Shifting focus, baggage lies on the floor partly open, as if owned by someone who's uncertain whether to settle down or move on. Yearning for the morning sun to rise and dispel a night of questions that echo down corridors of freedom, I wish, but do not act. Trapped in states of being that dispatch me to strange destinations which are without purpose, landscapes filled with spirit vampires. Sometimes, bright thoughts arise from the deep and provide brief flashes of clarity that sadly are pulled back down a mystery. Adrift on a stormy sea without compass, map, or way, suddenly I realized that life wasn't meant to be rowed alone. Restless, I begin to stir, but some kind of drug overpowers me, a narcotic of the self. The future is quite near. Today's short story is called Etymology. A group of people had gathered at the home of their spiritual guide. Following prayers, song, chanting, and a eulogy in remembrance of mystics of earlier days, the meeting was opened up for discussion. So, 
the teacher inquired. What would you like to reflect upon this evening? What food for thought can we offer you? As various members of the group were wondering what issues or concerns should be put forward for consideration, one of the individuals present, a newcomer, said, I've heard different descriptions concerning the essential nature of human beings, and sometimes I find myself confused. Although there are similarities and commonalities among such descriptions, there also seem to be important differences in what is said. Anything you care to comment on this topic would be very helpful to me. The teacher raised his eyebrows in a display of interest. This is a very good question. He lowered his head and was silent for a few seconds. And then he raised his head and said, Why don't we see what people here have to say about your question? Someone quipped, Isn't that like asking the blind to lead the blind? The teacher and the rest of the group laughed. When the laughter had died down, the teacher replied, Not necessarily. You know, according to some native spiritual traditions, when you sit in a circle, as we are doing, then the spiritual and creative energy of the gathering often becomes focused at the center, and sometimes, as a result, a very elegant and educational process transpires. Therefore, as is the case with native spiritual traditions, why don't we allow ourselves to be open to some of the possibilities of the moment? The teacher paused briefly and then asked of the group in general, how would you describe the essential nature of a human being? Silence descended upon the group as everyone became preoccupied with the question which had been placed before them. After a minute had passed, a woman asked, Is it all right to tell a joke that might be related to this issue? Why not, the teacher said rhetorically, and encouraged the woman to go ahead. Maybe you've heard this before, or maybe in a different version. But anyway, there was this mystic who used to travel about the town proclaiming, I am greater than God. I am greater than God. Naturally, the mystic's words were very, very upsetting to the religious orthodoxy. And they decided to drag the offending wretch before a tribunal and demand that the miscreant recant. When the mystic stood before the stern-looking judges, one of the jurists thundered down at the poor fool before them. Yes or no? Have you been going all about town claiming you are greater than God? Yes, the man said in a manner which suggested the judge was belaboring the obvious. This is blasphemous, all three judges said in unison. Not really, the man retorted. Young man, one of the judges said, are you so hopeless that you fail to understand nothing is greater than God? You've got it, your worship, replied the man. A quizzical look appeared on the judge's face, and then he gave the smile of a debater who believes he is about to score points. What? Are you saying that we correctly understand that you are hopeless, or are you saying that you fail to understand that nothing is greater than God, or both? The judge said triumphantly as he leaned back against his plush chair with a high backrest, looking left and right at his colleagues. 
Actually, none of the possibilities you mention are what I meant, the man replied. I was mistaken. I thought you understood what I was getting at when you asked your question. Indeed, nothing is greater than God, and no one knows better than me that I am nothing, so therefore I must be greater than God. The man thought a bit more and added, This is really just classical logic, gentlemen. Quite elementary, really, although some people may wish to quibble that the idea of nothing has undergone a change of reference as one goes from premise to premise and then to the conclusion. However, as we mystics often like to say, well, me anyway, it's all a matter of perspective. The perspective or intention through which one says things is very important. So now I trust you all will understand in what sense I am speaking when I claim that I am greater than God. Everybody, including the teacher, enjoyed the story. The teacher commented with, There is a great deal of truth in that story. Thank you for sharing it with us. And then he looked around and said, Who's next? A man sitting next to the woman who had told the joke spoke up. Your earlier reference to Food for Thought and the story we just heard reminded me of a description that I once heard concerning the essential nature of human beings. Namely, we are like onions. In other words, when we begin to take a look at our nature and try to determine what, if anything, actually belongs to us, the reality of the human condition is that after we get done peeling away the physical body, the mind, our talents, abilities, and social relationships, and come to realize these are all made possible by and through God, then really, when we get to the heart of the matter, like an onion, there is nothing left to us. The teacher gave a warm smile to the answer. Yes, yes, this is correct in so many ways. At this point, a younger man said, I actually read something once, which, to me at least, sounds very different than the onion analogy, but to keep the theme of food going, the object which was used to give expression to human nature was a peach. This approach emphasized that a peach has two aspects, an outer fruit that is manifest and an inner core around which the fruit grows and from which the outer portion receives certain benefits and protections. Furthermore, the peach pet is what makes a peach a peach rather than something else. The core represents the capacity of the peach, its potential. If one accepts this peach analogy, then the essence doesn't really seem like it is nothing. After all, seemingly, different people exhibit different spiritual capacities, just like they exhibit an array of physical characteristics, intellectual abilities, artistic talents, and so on. Unless one wants to say that we are identical to God, which, to my understanding, no real mystic says, then presumably there is something more than nothingness at the heart of human nature. Well, this is what I read anyway, he concluded with a sudden bout of self-awareness when he realized the teacher had been listening attentively to what he was saying. The teacher shook his head in admiration. Wherever you read this, son, the author is on the right track. What has been said just now is very important very important. The newcomer who had first raised the question about human nature said, I have liked everything that has been said so far, but would you say something on this topic? 
The teacher tilted his head at a slight angle and raised his hand pointing in the direction first of the woman who told the joke and then towards the onion man next to her and then to the peach of a young man. These three people have spoken very elegantly. I don't know what I could add. The newcomer implored the teacher, please. The teacher thought for a moment and finally said, there is one thing which does come to mind on this matter. There was this fellow in Mexico who was a gardener, and he had spent his whole life experimenting with various grafting techniques, and I seem to recall he made a big splash down there when he was able to successfully cross a peach with an onion, and they referred to him as the peon man. This is where the origin of the word peon comes from. And you people here may or may not know that peon is Spanish for servant. As people were mulling over the teacher's comments, one of the people in the group who was a linguist and a history buff said, Sir, I don't mean to contradict what you're saying, but really, this is not the correct etymology of the term peon. And unfortunately, I think your history is, shall we say, a little shaky too. The teacher laughed and had a twinkle in his eyes when he said, Etymologically and historically, you may be correct, but what I have just said is nonetheless spiritually true. Human essence is really a something which is nothing, or a nothing which is something, depending on your point of view, and in either case, human essence exists to serve divinity. The title of this week's edition of Musical Interludes is Wings.
Out of the 31,536,000 and odd seconds that make up a year, you have been spending your time with the extremely small subset of seconds spanning 365 and a quarter days, which comprise the Sufi Reverberations podcast. For the past several weeks, I've included an announcement in the Sufi Reverberations podcast that talks about the free download of a software package entitled Bridge. Those announcements allude to a Patreon project with which I am associated. The purpose of that project is to raise money to underwrite the costs of gifting books to different libraries in North America. The books that are to be gifted consist of the 40 books that I have written over the last several decades, and the subject matter of those books covers an array of topics, from Islam and the Sufi path, to religion, education, constitutional law, spiritual abuse, sharia, quantum physics, cosmology, evolution, psychology, political science, medicine, and 9-11. More than 45 years ago, during a textbook prejudice campaign conducted in Canada, in which I participated shortly after stepping on to the Sufi path, I learned that most people in North America have a very poor and often distorted understanding of Islam as well as the Sufi mystical tradition. My Patreon gifting project seeks to help alleviate the aforementioned sort of ignorance by gifting quality research materials that are written from an Islamic and a Sufi perspective. You can find out more about this project by visiting https colon backslash backslash www.anab a-n-a-b hyphen whitehouse w-h-i-t-e-h-o-u-s-e dot com and click on the Menu 3 option of the drop-down menus, and then click on Patreon. The spiritual essay that you are about to hear bears the title, Ah. How is it possible to meditate on the universe within us and beyond us, and not be overcome by a deep, abiding sense of the majesty, wonder, mystery, power, subtlety, and beauty that pervades all manner of being? In fact, this sense of awe can be so overwhelming and touch the soul so intensely, most of us tend to keep it at a distance. To the extent we allow ourselves to entertain such experiences at all, we often tend to permit them to surface only very briefly and in an attenuated manner. After all, these experiences tend to be counterproductive in the workaday world. Furthermore, compared to the intensity and depth of feeling involved in the experience of awe, one has difficulty reconciling this with the numbing way we often go about living our lives. Indeed, for a variety of different quote-unquote reasons, we spend so much of our time living in a socially and individually constructed cocoon from which awe has been excluded. Many of us no longer seem to be able to have any sense of awe whatsoever. Many of us have lost contact with this dimension of our being. Human knowledge is said by some to be doubling every 10 years or less. Some say this rate of doubling is accelerating. Yet, despite all of this accumulation of so-called knowledge, 
We know next to nothing about memory, consciousness, intelligence, creativity, cosmic possibility, ecology, other galaxies, the origins of life, language, human identity, death, health, or illness. This list could be extended indefinitely. We have many, many more questions than answers. Moreover, whatever answers we do have are being updated all the time because we didn't get it right the first, second, third, or fourth time around. Who are we? What are we doing here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Is there any purpose to existence? What meaning do events have? Is truth discovered or invented? Are there any absolutes? What should one do with one's life? Why do some people die sooner than others? What is the nature of justice? Do we have free will? For every declarative statement we make, we can come up with a multiplicity of interrogative rejoinders. We are awash in theories of all kinds, scientific, philosophical, theological, political, economic, artistic, historical, psychological, social, and educational. However, there is a potentially gigantic difference between having a theory and knowing the truth of a matter. The lifetimes of millions of people have been consumed with the battle to identify a few tentative conjectures before the onslaught of a raging sea of unknowns. Perhaps in the light of the ephemeral nature of the rewards to be guarded from such a titanic struggle, the tendency of most of us to retreat into the banality of fashion, television, careers, sports, material acquisition, hobbies, movies, parties, and various addictions becomes understandable. To be sure, the more one understands, the greater can be one's appreciation for the incredible richness and intricacy of any given aspect of existence. Yet, even if we know little or nothing about the nature of things, we seem to have an intrinsic capacity to feel awe for the wonder and mystery and beauty of the worlds within and without us. We look up into the sky at night and see the stars, the moon, and some planets. And providing we have not allowed ourselves to become desensitized, we can become engrossed just by witnessing those marvels, without necessarily understanding any of it. To be thrilled by the rippling, pulsating, and cascading movements of the northern and southern lights requires absolutely no knowledge or understanding of the process of ionization. In fact, from the perspective of Sufi masters, understanding the process of ionization in the upper atmosphere does not exhaust the realities which underwrite that physical phenomenon. The physical realm is only the most apparent realm of manifestation of a reality which goes far, far deeper than the purely physical. We see a sunset or a sunrise, with apologies to Copernicus et al., and we are transfixed. We experience the majestic, powerful presence of lightning or tornadoes or floods or hurricanes or earthquakes, and we are humbled before them. We are moved by compassion or empathy or love or beauty or generosity, not because we necessarily understand these processes, but because we have the capacity to resonate with these forces. We know what we know even if we don't understand what we know. What we know is mystery and wonder and majesty and grandeur 
and beauty. What we know is what we feel with our hearts and spirits. What we know is laughter and tears and fear and joy. What we know are questions. What we know is awe. Much of the foregoing comments concerns the physical material world or universe. Reality, however, extends beyond the realm of the material level of manifestation. In fact, the material world, as vast and nuanced as it is, is only a minuscule portion of what is. In addition to the material-physical modalities of being, there are other levels which give expression to the souls of things, the angelic realm, the realities of the names and attributes of God, the abode of fixed essences, and finally the truth and reality of God's essence which transcends and is entirely independent of all the other realms. Indeed, all these other realms presuppose and are dependent on the divine essence, although the divine essence cannot be reduced to or likened to any of these other realms. The divine essence makes all of these other realms possible. Nonetheless, we cannot make any inference about the nature of the divine essence based on manifestations of these other realms. According to the realized practitioners of the Sufi sciences, all of these realms which are a mysterious function of the unknowable divine essence are far more vast than the physical material world. They are infinite in nature. These are Sufi practitioners who have journeyed to and experienced, to varying degrees, these various realms. Some of it has been written or spoken about. The vast majority of such experiences, however, fall beyond language or description, and sometimes even understanding. They are undergone, but sometimes this is about all that can be said about them. These experiences often are characterized by, among other possibilities, a sense of inundation in raw, naked, overwhelming, mesmerizing, intoxicating, stupefying, powerfully intense awe. Such experiences of awe help color, shape, orient, and modulate how the Sufi interacts with and perceives other human beings and, in fact, the whole universe. Awe generally becomes a powerful organizing force in the life of a Sufi. The richer and more intense and subtle one's experiences of awe, the greater is the potential for transformation of the life, thinking, understanding, feeling, and activity of the Sufi. You have been listening to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast. I hope you will join me next week for a new episode of this program. May peace be your companion. Music